Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're safely uh, situated in our respective domiciles. Uh, Richard on the West Coast in Vancouver, me on the East Coast in a little town called New London. Little town. Little town. And and it's really funny. Anytime I host a visitor from London proper, Mm -hmm. they're like so mad because it's such a little town. It is a little town. I mean, it had big aspirations, clearly, with that name. Right? Yeah, you would think New London would be newer, bigger, better. As Because if you ever go to Old York, you're not that impressed. <laughs> but <laughs> New York, New holy York, man. Right. <laughs> and we're only two and a half hours from New York, so it's even the pressure is even on more. Yeah. But we literally have two streets of city that intersect, and the rest is all, like, you know, uh, suburban. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I said I, I'm. I got nothing bad to say about it. It's a nice little town. It's a nice little town. It's a cool little town. And also, the thing that drives uh, UKers crazy is that we have a Thames River, per, you know, pronounced Thames. Yes, because reasons. Spelled the same way. Stacy's completely <laughs> shaking her head. That, that's, that's just wrong. I know, and it gets worse, Stacy. We have a Norwich, but we pronounce it Norwich. <laughs> Just up the just up the Thames. Just up the Thames. <laughs> just up the Thames. I, I'm Norwich. keeping quiet at this point. I don't want kicked out of this call. Right? <laughs> no, I get it. I feel your pain. I didn't understand until oh, I actually man. went to to you to, to the quote real ones. Is that where yeah. you're going to go? Okay. I'm like wow, this that. is pretty big. <laughs> this All right. Is a anyway. thing. Let's get started with a little thing we call Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? So this happens to be the topic of this week's Blazor Train. And by this week, I mean the week of, uh, well, next week. We're, we're recording this on the 18th. Right. And I'm going to publish a Blazor Train on March 22nd. But this will come out last, till the 31st. So. Right, which was last Tuesday from your perspective. You know, time's hard. It is. <laughs> But it's called, uh, it's a free library called Blazor Intersection Observer. Mm-hmm. So it's a wrapper around the Intersection Observer API that you can use, uh, you know, in your Blazor application. And the Intersection Observer API is a way to tell, um, mostly from inside a component, but sometimes you want to tell from outside okay. when a component or an element, a UI element comes into view. So scrolls onto the screen kind of thing? Like yeah, or in a, in a, if you want to do lazy loading, that's one thing. Oh, so when if it actually you, gets rendered. That's right. It only renders when it uh you know, when it's visible. Okay. And of course if somebody does uh, you know, a status changed while it's visible, it's gonna re render. But right. but it isn't it's gonna stay silent until it comes into view and then so, it will render. Okay. So it's even if it's further down on the page. It's not going to trigger. It's not going to be a, a trigger an intersection until it actually scrolls into view. That's right. That's, That's right. Cool. And you can use it within another container, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have like a div that has, um, what is it? Overflow auto, which means it's a scroll bar. Then, uh, you know, when it comes into view, that's when it renders. That's really neat. Yeah, it's cool. And and it's good to be able to know because there's other things you want to do at that point too. Right. It also enables things like, you know, the endless scroll, right? Think Facebook, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, where you want to. Yeah, where you just keep loading. Keep yeah. Loading. When I'm rendering one, I want to load up, the, I want to create or instantiate the next component, and that won't render until it's in view, right? So I can keep doing that. It's a pretty cool idea. And also placing ads yeah. that are based on the content. You want to make that decision when the content yeah. changes. As you go. As long as you're fast enough. Yeah, sure. It's Blazor we're talking about. Right. <laughs> well, that's all, and that's always the question when you're rendering on the fly like this is, you know, are you making the, are you making the user wait? Can you keep, right. can you keep yeah. up? Yeah. Cool stuff, though. And then I, like I, I haven't seen that issue yet. But, of course, you know, if you have, if you're trying to load a five gigabyte image into an image tag i suppose that could be a problem no matter what yeah no listen if you're loading a five gigabyte image you need to stop that you have other problems yeah, that's not <laughs> yeah. stop you it. need to go to you need to go to web therapy yes stop stop that, that. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the right thing to do it's not 
It's wrong. Wrong. It's just wrong. Well, that's what I got today. Richard, awesome. who's talking to us? I grabbed a show off a of comment 1679. And that's the one we did with Stacy back at the Sweat Ugg conference in Stockholm. Yep. In the before times. Yeah. A couple of things I remember from this conference. One was Jessica, who yeah. runs the conference, thanking me for contributing to her diversity by being a senior presenter. <laughs> I believe I made an obscene noise at that point. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, it, it was a regular conference. Like, we had no idea. It was, it was kind of one of the last shows we did right. before the whole world closed down. And so it's kind of fun to be circling back here uh, and be back together again. And of course, we talked about pair programming. Uh, that was the topic of the show. And Woja Gamala says, uh, in a previous company I worked on it as a consultant, I worked in pairs and switched out a lot. I was able to become an efficient teammate in about a week or two. Other elements of workflow, like plannings, retrospectives, and daily stand-ups, allowed me to know what was going on in the project. I knew who to ask when I had a problem, and others knew when I had can, can help them. Which is really cool as a consultant to pair with all those different folks. Like you're going to learn a project really fast. Also, it also really hit me on this idea of how do I get a new person up to speed? Pairing is really a powerful way to go. Uh, he subsequently left the company, but currently works as a regular code typer and a team that does not care about communications at all. No code reviews, no retrospectives, no standups. And I feel like I'm blind. Hmm. And so after about four months, I, I had to leave. And that was the shortest day of my career. So wow. pair programming changed him too. You know, it changed Wojcik. Like he's, he thinks about it differently now. That it's kind of an essential part of the way he wants to work. Uh, so Wojcik, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Go By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there, we read it on the show. We'll send you a copy of Music to Go By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Please send us a tweet. And don't worry. We'll only see it when we see it. <laughs> How's that? That's very async await, man. That's what it that is. is. It's very event-driven. Very you know, stream-centric. The, the, when I looked into this Blazor Intersection Observer, the demos were like, you know, static content, you know, inside the render. Like, here I am. I'm visible. Well, no, duh. I'm looking at you. Right? <laughs> So I had to do some demos, uh, you know, where I was get I was calling into a property that you know changed. I hate a weak demo, you know, like you really want a demo where it's like, oh, of course I want that. Yeah, you want to get it. To, yeah, yeah, that it make it makes sense why I'd want to use this, not just how does it work. Yep. So hence Blazor Train. Love it. Yeah. So let us uh, formally uh, introduce Stacy Cashmore. Stacy is a tech explorer DevOps at Omniplan and Microsoft MVP and Developer Technologies. She's been developing software since the mid-90s and has been speaking about improving the way we develop software at conferences and meetups since 2019. As well as sparring with a software architect about technical issues, she spends her time helping the development team and the wider company with continuous improvement in terms of technical work, process, and, of course, working together as a team. Outside of work, she enjoys spending time with her classic car, Cooking, playing the piano badly, her words, not mine, and spending time with her family, doing, amongst other things, building a Lego modular building city in their house. Awesome. Oh, God. That's super We geeky. have to talk about that. <laughs> Welcome, Stacy. Welcome back. Yeah, every time. Um, Kelly, my wife, just got into Legos because uh, Emmy and her boyfriend, my daughter, they they do them and they they go to the Lego store and it's not like you just get a bunch of blocks now. You get something to create. Yeah. Right? And so she started easily with like roses. And so they're Lego roses. And nice. now she's kind of addicted to it. It's kind of a thing. The Lego flowers are awesome because you can't kill them. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we do not have any plants in our house because if we have plants in our house, they last. They're, they're going to die. Weeks yep. the most. That's right. There's Whereas plastic the Lego roses. Plants, you know, they just sit there and they look great. I have a bonsai tea on the coffee table. I've got um, a oh, bloom of flowers on the piano. Yeah, so we have the um, the, the the roses on the uh, breakfast nook table. And then right on the floor next to it is a dead cactus. Going, It's literally like slumped over, <laughs> touching the floor, and nobody has bothered to pick it up and throw it away yet. Oh. It's pretty sad, really. 
You know, you, right. as soon as you say you can't kill them, I'm like, I got a blowtorch I can change your <laughs> mind with. I usually use it on the little green soldiers, but just ah, good for you. baseball bat would. Uh... <laughs> that, that could work. I mean, I have had to put um, UV um, film on the windows in oh, my yeah. living room. We have some really high, really um, short windows, but they're nice and long and they let lots of light in. And mm. I put the Saturn V rocket in that window. And, and that. one of our friends from Belgium, Mike, from Microsoft, he uh, said in our WhatsApp group, that looks awesome, but you're going to ruin it. You're going to fade it. And it's like, yeah. ooh, that's a really good point. So I then went on a, a fact-finding spree, the best way to stop UV light. And I just found some film that you put on the windows. It stops 99%. Um, but it still I lets enough lighting to make the Lego look awesome. Nice. I'm sorry for continuing this geek out, but I have some of that stuff I just put up in my windows. It's ND filtered, basically. And it's great for shooting a video where you're in front of a window with sunlight coming in. Same idea. Anyway, should we talk about static web apps? Yeah, why not? I heck? think we should talk about static web apps. Static web apps L- are fun. Live on, the, live on the edge. Yeah. When I think, when I first thought about static web apps was a long time ago when I had an index.html file, and that's it. That's all I had. That's fairly static. Yeah, yep. it's quite static. That's a very static web app. Until I added JavaScript. Mm. Now it's <laughs> semi-static <laughs> and crappy. <laughs> I, I, I actually had a really interesting discussion on Twitter with somebody, uh, it was either Twitter or LinkedIn, about what is a static web app? Because yeah. a static web app, it's not static. It's, it's contra- a file it's totally that has functions in it, and it does stuff. Yeah. And it, you've got to think way more along the lines of a static web app is um, static files hmm. rather than loading uh, dynamic content directly from the server. You load the static files, yeah. and then the browser sorts it out for you. Right. But I, I thought it was interesting to see other people getting really upset at the term static web app for something which lo- loads a .NET um, DLL. Self-contained might be a better yeah. description. And then you add the API to the back end just to make it really um, awesome. Sure. Absolutely. And why is this the new hotness? Why is everybody excited about this? The, the thing that I love about it is the ease of deployment. It's I started playing with static web apps probably about three, four years ago now mm-hmm. uh, when it was on the storage accounts. And you could upload your files, and then you could turn your Azure storage account into a static web app. But that had no link to any APIs or anything else. It was really hard to expose on a custom DLL. Um, You had to have cores enabled for your APIs because everything was running in different places. And your really simple deployment solution quite rapidly grew into sort of four or five different resources in order to make it work like an application. Mm-hmm. And with the static web apps in Azure now, it's awesome. You just have one Azure resource and it deploys your static files. It deploys your function APIs. And it's got all this wonderful glue in the middle that turns it into one complete application for you. So we're talking about Azure static web apps, which is a product. It's a service that they offer, right? Not static web apps in general. Yeah, it's uh, it, it specifically the Azure one is the uh, that that's what I've been playing with over yeah. the last well since it was in preview, trying to see what I could do with it. Jeff Fritz uh, demoed that for me back in February 2021 on episode 36 of Blazor Train, and uh, he built a Blazor Wasm Azure static web app, uh, which was serverless, very cool and very cost effective as well. Yeah, and it's uh, it, the only thing that you really pay for is your data in and out. And unless you're using is it 100 gig of data in and out or something like that, is um, you get that free with it. Hmm. Um, you get your Azure Functions, however many calls you get of those. But right. for a lot of the, especially homebrew things, you're never going to hit the point where you have to pay for an Azure Function. Right. So it, it's pretty much free. And even if you need some of the deeper... Um, functionality. I think they're still only sort of ten euro, uh, ten dollars a month, hmm. in order to have a paid subscription. And there you can do a lot of extra stuff inside of uh, the static web app to make it more useful for enterprises. Hmm. But but clearly cheaper than an app service then too. 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. So cost-effective approach, as well as very naturally scalable, because it's super granular, like as well as performant, very CDNable. Yep. For those who it's, consider uh, and, that and all of, of that is built into the resource itself. Right. Is it using, I can't remember, is it using uh, storage blobs, storage on the back end to, to store things? I, it, it must be using, I must admit, the actual internal details, I, I'm not so hot on. But it must be using something like that. I mean, it has an Azure function in there. That's going to need storage anyway. Right. Um, you're going to need something to store your files on mm. for the front end as well as for the Azure functions. I'm sure there's Kubernetes in there somewhere. You just don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> I, and that's a bit that I love about it. It's uh, yeah. I, I don't quite know the whole ins and outs of what's behind the scenes. And I don't care and I don't need to care. Right. I love that. Well, I love it when this I is, don't need to care. This is sort of the cloud thinking model, right? It's like, listen, it's a service. Just use the service. Yeah. Right. You don't have to understand a cryptographic algorithm to call the cryptographic API. You do have to understand what resources you're paying for, though. And yeah. How well, much. you're going to be made to understand it in a big old hurry about yeah. a month from now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, that, again, that's a nice one with these your static web apps. Mm-hmm. The only thing that you're going to spend is if somebody absolutely hammers your APIs. Right. Then the only thing you're going to be spending is your Azure functions. Outside of that, everything is just that one single resource. And Azure has that API service that will gatekeep for you on that sort of stuff. And even bill, you know, bill like the whole API management piece. We did a show on a while ago. I thought it was really interesting. So, you know, if one person's got a runaway process that's hammering your API, which is going to cost you money, the API management service is going to pop that up to you pretty quickly and say, listen, do you want me, you know, there's a limit on this or it's just one person, like just getting to the bottom of all of that. You know, the, the fact that you have a service for that as well, I think would make your life way easier. Yeah, I, I think that's the nice, uh, the extended part of it that you can do. If mm-hmm. you're running the standard static web app in the free tier, yeah, then that's not something that you can use because it is all hidden away from you. Right. But if you move up to the standard tier for a more enterprise solution, then you can plumb your own uh, Azure functions into it rather than using the managed functions. And then, yeah, then you have all of the uh, API management that you can use to set everything up and scale everything that you need to at that scale. Right. Mm-hmm. So, And then that's what we want, right? Easy to get involved in, get started with, get stuff, get a proof of concept up, get the boss hyped about it. But as it scales, you don't have to stop and rewrite. You can yeah, just keep adding in services so that you don't you don't get into trouble. Yeah, and I mean that that even goes for things like uh, authentication. Mm-hmm. It's I just gave a talk today on um, using authentication in static web apps. Okay, and the bit that I love, I am not an authentication expert. It's one of those things that up until now in my career, other people have taken care of for me. Right. And yet I can put uh, a login on an Azure static web app that's secure in about five seconds. Wow. Because it's all built into that one resource in Azure. It takes care of the communication with you. You are limited. So you can only use Azure Active Directory, uh, Google, which is in preview, uh, Twitter, and GitHub. But you have access to those types of logins out of the box Without doing anything, all you need to do is be able to consume the um, the JSON that you get back from that login nice. as authentication in your app. I, I love that you said only and then rattled off like the five things you're most likely to use. <laughs> only. Yeah, just a little detail. <laughs> oh, yeah, only the main ones. Yeah. And also all of them kind of pit of success ones, like one of those wasn't, or store passwords in a SQL server. Yes. It's, uh, it's uh, the, the other thing I love about it, not only is authentication not really my thing yeah. yet, um, I'll get that eventually, but it means that I don't need to worry about people's passwords. It's yeah. something that I got, we've just rewritten our application in the office, and something mm. I said at the start when talking about logging in is, best password is one that I don't know, and yeah. I never want to know. Never want to know. But And I would push back on that. It's like, why do I want to get good at this? If I can do it right with, you know, that just that teeny bit of knowledge about I just put in this thing and it's the correct way to protect data and to do proper authorization authentication. That's as much as I want to know. There are other people to be experts in security for me. 
the fact that I can do the right thing without having to be an expert, that's the best thing I could ask for. Let's talk about the scenarios in which a static web app is not the right answer. Hmm. That's uh, an interesting one. It's right for everything, Carl. It's the only way. If you're doing anything else, you're making a mistake. It's, I, mean, <laughs> I, I think it definitely a big thing would be the fact that if you are, I mean, certainly for Blazor, I adore Blazor. But if you're using Blazor Wasm, that first load can be just a teeny bit annoying yes. uh, for your users. So anything where that is going to absolutely be an issue is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I'm really going to say, I, I am sure there are plenty of use cases that people are going to write in about and tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. But if I look at it outside of that, if you're running an Angular application, Mm-hmm. then why would you not want to host it as a static web app rather than hosting it on an app service? Mm. And that's really um, the distinction, right? You could run this either way. Yeah, you, you could run this either way. You don't need to use Azure Functions. You can, of course, always call a different API if you don't want to use Azure Functions. You'd mm-hmm. rather have a web API in the back end. You can just use it purely as a way of hosting your client application. You don't need to have it as the full gamut of services that you've got running in the background. So if you have currently a Blazor server application, is that going to work? If you have a Blazor server application, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. There you go. Right. Because you need that backend processing. The backend right? is yeah. critical for UI processing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anything like that, if you're using uh, any kind of server side rendered content, then obviously right. that's not going to work. It, right, so. it is for when you're using a, a a client side framework. Yeah. So yeah. MVC, same deal, same deal, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Web forms. Right? Yeah. Like wow, just, that takes just, me back. Let's yeah. just be honest, right? There's plenty of it is still out there. It's yep. like Azure Web, uh, Azure Static Web, not for web forms. Like, yeah, for, and I think not for Stacey server side said renders. it best. Yeah, anything that renders on the server side, or anything where the server side runs like and is running and has it, to be and part of the equation yeah where yeah. Are all these spas where all the com- all the work is essentially done on the client except for api calls mm. sounds like static web apps make a lot of sense yep it said the one thing you do have to remember if you're going to run it as a static web app is you can't run it hosted in a .NET application right yeah so I, i've worked for a couple of companies that the .NET application actually did an amount of configuration for the angular app Oh, interesting. And it actually updated the Angular code that was sent down to the client. Hmm. Yeah, so, so they can't easily extract that Angular application and run it as a static site. Yeah. They really need that hosted site. Yeah, because they're doing that gymnastics on the back end yeah. before they push it down as a spa. It's a, it's a, almost like an initialization se- sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fine. There's another way to do that. They could be rewriting that that uh, startup process as a function that then you know preps the thing. Like, but that's a rewrite. That's a change of that yeah. of that initial process. And now and, you have all the problems where stuff on the server side makes assumptions that it's safe. You know, it's you're not exposing secrets. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. If you need to rewrite that now as a purely client side thing, now you've got some. Maybe some whammies that uh, are going to throw you for a loop uh, with security, with, you know, code that you don't want anybody to see, for example. You know. I'm saying you, you, you definitely have all that trust, man. I don't think that's so much of an issue if somebody's writing it in a client-side framework with that initialization. No, you're but right. But certainly uh, a, a nice reason for using, like say, MVC or server-side Blazor is just the knowledge that the user really hasn't played with this stuff and nobody's doing bad stuff right. easily. Right, yeah. I'm not going to say never that nobody's going to do bad stuff, but y- you can trust it a lot more than you could if it comes from the client side. Never trust anything a user sends you. Yeah, absolutely not. Users are evil. Well, yeah, even if, even if uh, without malice, but still. Okay, well, user happens. input is evil. Maybe not the user themselves, but yeah. user input, expect anything. And everything, uh, all things, all things are possible. That being said, I mean the upside. Just trying to hide code on the back end is not really a great strategy for security. Your code should be should be able to be visible for anyone and still not be breachable. In, in an ideal, in an idea, you know, real real case, like you're using tokens and so forth correctly, you you can't be gotten at that way. Yeah, the code shouldn't matter. 
And with that, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, our sponsor today is Ray Gun Carl, and we've got JD Trask with us. All right. Hey, JD. Howdy. <laughs> I'm going to dig into that enterprise stuff and talk about scaling websites because I've done a lot of that and I've logged a lot of different ways. Can you talk to me a bit about your experiences when websites get really big and tools like logging uh, have an effect? Do you mean uh, the impact on, say, the cost or the overhead of having it in there? Well, there's that part. There's also the performance aspects, too. Like, logging's not free, especially at scale. Yeah, absolutely. So Raygun itself, we've we've built our products to scale from, you know, I'm starting a side project and I only want to maybe spend a couple of dollars through to uh, our largest customer. We have tracked the performance for 87 million concurrent users of their application. What? Uh, so we can kind of go full end-to-end in there. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty big. Raygun processes a lot of data. <laughs> I thought my 300 users was big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at, at that level, you know, we like to think of it as how does Raygun make sure it can scale for those customers? And we've done yeah. some really amazing work on that. Um, we leverage a lot of the benefits that have actually come out of the .NET Core work from Microsoft. That's helped yeah. us a lot. We have .NET on the background. But for the customer, you know, that that one that had 87 million concurrent users, you can understand they were a multi-platform business. So that, sure. that application was running on smart TVs, you know, PCs, right down to almost Casio calculator level, you know, processes. <laughs> uh, so the, the level of uh, performance work we were doing ourselves to make sure that it was minimal overhead to ensure that that customer was having great success with Raygun. Um, you know, I love that sort of work though, personally, sure. you know, trying to find performance optimization. So there's that element. And then of course, making sure you provide a service that provides things like inbound filters and screening to make sure you're not just collecting the noise from logs, you know, you mm. actually want the actionable stuff. And that's how you can manage the cost side while also at scale. Well, you mean there's more to the metrics of logging than the size of the log file? <laughs> <laughs> look, look at all that data. Yeah. Oh, we've all been there, right? There's my log file. It's 87 gigabytes in size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. I'm going to open it in Notepad and figure things out. It's the joys of software. Now, I really appreciate the instrumentation you have as well to help me understand what's going on inside my app and the logging that's there. And if you'd like to know more about Raygun, go to raygun.com and click on the free trial. Beautiful. Awesome. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey. And here's our friend Stacy Cashmore. We're talking a little bit about static web apps, specifically the Azure flavor, because there are other flavors. We're not alone in this static web app world. Yeah. The Azure static web app. Is pretty freaking awesome. There's so much that you can do with that. Okay, that's the end of the show. (laughs) And with that, we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Have you gone down the more complicated path of like using the caching resources stuff? I mean, a lot of this is on by default, but have you actually looked at the knobs for like, let's globalize this, cache stuff in Europe, cache stuff in, in, in Southeast Asia? I've not looked at that pretty much because it comes out of the box. Right. It's not a lot to do. It it is all on by default. The only time when you really need to consider that is if you take one of the standard tier uh, accounts that you do need to pay for and you want to run it as a private endpoint. So, for example, if you're running an app gateway inside of Azure and you want to make sure that your app is behind the app gateway, right? then you need to set it as a private endpoint, and then obviously you lose all of the globalization things behind it. But for a standard web app, it's just there. Hmm. Nice. And, and, the, and it's one of, I mean, this is one of the things I've enjoyed as we've been playing with scaling out in, you know, in an international distribution of things. I did that in the old days, the hard way, with CDN services that you paid six and seven figures for. And had to push data sets up to, you know, the, the caching resources and so forth, all those different sites. Like it was a complicated process. The oh, idea that on. I literally can <laughs> push, don't say the, don't say the A word. Uh, <laughs> the fact that you could just literally say, Hey, I'd like this in Europe, please. And it'll figure out what needs to be there. It's just, you know, just you just pay more for the fact that the cache is local and improve the performance of your site mm. for your users in that area. Yeah. It's magic. I like magic. Magic means that I don't get to break it. Yeah, don't <laughs> I get to break other stuff instead. <laughs> nice. 
what is it like to debug uh, static web apps? Where where do you where do you struggle with this? Um, debugging the, the biggest issue with debugging is joining the two things together. Hmm. So when they first came out, what you needed to do was add some code to your application that changed where it looked for the back end. Mm-hmm. So if you ran it on your development machine, it would go to uh, local host or whatever you set up in your local settings. When you right. run it in Azure, it just goes to its own URL. And okay. for the Azure functions, you had to turn on cores when running it locally, uh, which was a little bit of setup, a little bit of boilerplate, um, but it worked. And I'm going to be honest, if all you are doing is using an Azure function in the front end, it still works. It's it's quite nice to use. You get all of the debugging out of the box inside of Visual Studio. You can do whatever you need to do. If you need to use some of the authentication um, things inside of there or any of the built-in functionality, mm-hmm. there is now a Azure Static Web App CLI available. Right. Uh, you can install that via NPM. And it's a little Node.js server which replicates the functionality. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's um it's it's still in preview. Things are still changing, but it's reasonably stable. I've not ran it and found things broken for quite some time. Um and it just gives you that ability to spin it up as you need to spin it up. Um so that you can run it outside of Visual Studio. You don't need to set up that cause or anything else. It provides that glue between the two that turns the front end and the back end into one coherent application. Okay. And, and I'm thinking about this in Visual Studio versus Visual Studio Code, too. Are, are static web apps an app type in Studio? Uh, they are not an app type in Visual Studio. So to create it in to create it in both Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, you need to create your Azure function. You mm-hmm. need to create your front end. Uh, and then the... Um, Static web app joins them together when it deploys them. Okay. Uh, So you you can create your own solution that puts two in. That's how I develop all of mine so that you can do things like um, shared objects between the front end and back end. That's Uh, always good to have so you're not repeating your uh, models. Right. Right. Interesting. My colleagues at work are going to complain at me because we use Onion architecture in the office and we have lots of models that we have to go between and we don't share them to keep things safe. But when you've only got one API and one front end, that shared model is wonderful to use. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I, I also think as you scale up, as there's more and more of it, like you don't want to duplicate code and you don't want them to get out of sync. No. So it's, uh, it, it's nice just to be able to, uh, to turn it on and run it. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you run it inside of Visual Studio co- or VS Code, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's just install the right extensions for the particular languages that you're using. Right. And... It's not opinionated. As long as you can produce static files that you can deploy, and as long as you can have a HTTP-triggered Azure function in your particular language, you can write it in whatever language you like. Nice. Well, and, I, and I'm looking at the GitHub repository for static web apps, and they're, they're, you know, they're pretty specific about, listen, you know, if you're working in Angular or Vue or all of these really SPA frameworks, we're, re- we're ready for you. Like, this is what it's for. It's out of the box, and you even get the deploy pipeline out of the box. Nice. nice. That, that was the other thing that I really liked. I did it today. There, there's an, actually an issue happened to me last night with Azure Static Web Apps. I think I set up my functions wrong. I think I set up the authorization level on the functions wrong. And overnight, literally every one of my apps stopped working. Oh, no. Because all of the APIs gave me 401 errors. Wow. And I fixed it. And I commented on it on Twitter, and I was asked to make a an issue for this because it should work. Right. And for, I four hundred one is an authorization fail. Yep, correct. So this it's, is a security um, problem. I I was running the Azure functions on a function level authorization, and up until now, the static web app has taken care of making sure the right key gets passed. Oh, I see. And overnight, that stopped working. I don't know what happened, but that stopped working. Something so, got updated. Yeah, something got updated, and I created an issue, and I span up a very quick repo with just uh, a simple API, one with anonymous, one with function-level authorization. Mm-hmm. I span up a new Azure static web app, and I shared that inside of the issue, uh, inside of GitHub for Microsoft, 
And it took me about 15 minutes to make a repo, get it spun up, get it deployed, and give all of the links in the GitHub issue so that somebody can look at it in more detail. Wow. And I think setting up a whole CICD pipeline in 15 minutes and deploying it to production yeah. is quite magical. That's pretty awesome. But I mean, you also wrote, or I found your issue. In fact, maybe I'll link it in the show notes. People want to see this. Because this is not, hey, this doesn't work, fix it, please. This is, here is a reproducible example of the problem I'm having. Mm-hmm. Like, bless that, you. That's what I was aiming for, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that you, and you wrote it in, in right, right into the, the repository as opposed to like going on Stack Overflow or anything like that. Like, talk to the folks who are building it. Uh, and it, that was so recent, like it's just a few hours before we recorded this. So I just, I'll, I'll include it in the show notes, but I suspect by the time this show published, It'll be dealt with. We can hope. Yeah. So, Stacy, how about uh, CI/CD and um, you know things like GitHub flows and integrating with your source control pipeline? Uh, how how does a static web app work that way? Does the whole thing just get replaced? And uh, how does it work? You get the CI/CD flow out of the box when you create the web app. I said, that's, that's kind of a lie. You get the CI/CD flow out of the box when you deploy from GitHub. Okay. Uh, and that gives you one single task, and it will build your application and deploy your application for you. And it recognizes automatically what language you are using. So you don't need to tell it what language you're using. You just need to say where your client is, where your API is. And the GitHub task itself will have a look inside those folders, figure out how it needs to build, build everything, and then deploy it up to the static web app for you. Uh, Again, it's a black box for me Hmm. in how it happens, but there is zero downtime. Do we get slots? Do we get deployment slots like we do with app service? So the the pipeline, you get it out of the box, uh, at least with GitHub, you get it out of the box if that's where your repo's hosted. Hmm. It creates it with a two-step process, and the first step is a build and deploy. And it's actually one single task, mm. and all you need to feed it is the client location, the API location, and an output location. And the task itself will have a look in that place in your repo, figure out what language you're building in, mm-hmm. do the building for you, and then deploy it. And it deploys with zero downtime. Wow. Which is really useful. I've tried to test this one. I've tried to break it. I wanted to see it go boom. And (laughs) I couldn't. It's just just doing a continual F5, refreshing the page, forcing it to reload. Now that's a great... And it went old site, old site, old site, old site, old site, new site. One of the cool things about the old days of .NET with IIS was the shadow deployment or shadow copy. Yeah. So it could, what what were those things called? Application context or something like that? App context? Am I right? It's, it rings a bell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think basically what would happen was the it, .NET would notice that there's a new version of a file and it would spin down the current application context and load the other one up and just let the existing one, all the existing threads and requests just finish. And then the new one would take any new requests. Yeah. So they must be doing some sort of voodoo magic like that. Yeah. They've got to be doing something like that in the background. Um, the, the nice one for Blazor is you don't even need to care about where your output is. That's all taken care of for you. If you're deploying something like Angular, then you need to be quite more specific into where this thing gets built. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still not complex. Do and let's say it, it's all one GitHub task. Um it is available in Azure DevOps as well, so you can deploy it from there just as easily, but you have to manually write your pipeline. It won't automatically create you a pipeline okay. inside of Azure DevOps. Yeah, so and I'm, and I'm thinking in terms of in an enterprise situation where you want to follow standards for a bunch of that stuff. You know, yeah. The, the defaults are probably not right, but you can build your own and, yeah. and deal with it that way. The, yeah, the, the ro- there's a bunch of ways to do it. I mean, I've done the rolling update thing manually back in the day, mm. It's totally doable. The fact that it's being done for you is pretty awesome. Mm. I mean, you basically, you know, that means they're staging the entire new instance till it's ready to run. And then they're just literally switching the stream. 
Yep. The next request comes and goes to the new one, and then they shut down the old one in the back without you knowing. Yeah, it waits for everything to be up and running before you do it. If you actually watch a deploy, it gets to the end. It says, okay, this has now been deployed. And the last thing the task does is every 15 seconds, it pulls um, the Azure static web app. Right. And once that new version is available, that is the point where it switches over. Does the redirect. Oh, yeah. Do we have slots? Do we have like a dev test uh, staging area and production? Do do we have that same concept with static web apps? Yes and no. It's um, There's a really nice way of testing your things in production before you move to production. Uh, if you make a pull request, then that same pipeline task knows that you're in a pull request flow and not in your main branch. Oh, mm-hmm. And it will create a deploy slot on the fly for you huh. and spin that up. That's not globally available, so that only gets spun up in the region that you're in. But it allows you to test against different um, Azure functions. So the functions are deployed with it, the front end's deployed. Mm. You can set up environments inside of the Azure portal, so you can put different connection strings inside uh, for backend communication. Right. And when everything works and you complete your pull request, it tears all of that back down for you. Hmm. Yeah. So that's all, all this stuff we used to do by hand now. It's just changing the connection string generates a new site, essentially. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it really, like you say, it's magic. Yeah. There's one big proviso here, and it's one that they mention on their website as well. Mm-hmm. And that is all of the staging slots at present are publicly available. Right. So it's so, not actually private network. It no. is it's just you need to know the URL. And if you're just doing a test run for an hour, like good luck figuring that out. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not trying to be isolated. No, but it, it's something that you need to be aware of before you go in there uh, mm-hmm. and do things. Um if you're on the free layer, then you get two different staging slots. So you can have two pull requests going at the same time. Mm. And I think it's five for the paid for version. Um, a couple of other cravats in there are if you are using your own functions. Obviously, if you're deploying the function with a static web app, when you go to a staging environment, it also deploys the functions with it. If you have your managed functions, then obviously that's something you are going to have to manually set up in the environment to point it to the right set of functions in the back end. It's it, by default, it's always going to point to the production functions because they have their own different and deploy flows. Okay. Yeah. It's a little bit more complicated, but it doesn't sound that d- difficult. No, it, it's it's really not that difficult. And if you really do have something that cannot go out to production or right. cannot be out in the world, then you can still deploy it the same way that you would deploy an app service by right. having uh, different environments that you deploy to at different stages of your uh, pipelines. And they can be sitting with a private endpoint behind your app gateway so that only people inside the company can see them. Hmm. Yeah. So there's ways around this, and they're not necessarily expensive ways around this. It's It builds up the complexity just a little bit, but it's not hmm. it's not too bad. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the pricing in US dollars and the standard, I mean, they're both 100 gigs a month uh, included. And then if you go to standard, it's an additional 20 cents per gig. So if you go up another 100, you're paying you know, $20 plus a base fee of nine bucks. And then um, the edge stuff is eight or seventeen fifty. Like, yeah. This is not a lot of money. Bearing in mind what pe- we pay for some of our app service plans, you could run 15 of them for the price of one yeah. static web app. Yeah. And the, oh, and the SSL certs are on by default and free. You don't do anything. For That's the cert. pretty yeah. awesome. I mean, the, the cert, certs for app service have gotten way better. There's no no two ways about that. But how about certs are always on and we don't make you or do anything for them. They just happen. I, I like that, <laughs> you know, as it should be. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, it's owning up the ability to deploy these things to anybody that has a GitHub account. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it, it's not like you need to be an Azure expert in order to figure out what resources and everything else you need to make this work anybody can do this out of the box and you can make quite a feature rich application for literally no money 
Yeah, and you still have the uh, the option to make a back end. You know, if you want an API server or um, you know a gRPC service hosted, something like that, and or or SignalR hub. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. th- those are all still on the table. You can still use those. Yeah, I think the only the only reason you would switch up to the standard tier is additional scale or custom Azure functions. Those are sort of the as soon as yeah. you go down that path where you're building your own, mm-hmm. uh, you want to manage it, that, those functions yourself, or you have existing functions that you want to implement utilize. Yeah. Then you're flipping up mm-hmm. to, to and so it, it's either that or the authentication. Yeah, or you're doing something wonky in authentication and considering the list of the of standard authentications, I don't know, it'd be hard to justify. But okay. uh, th- there's good use cases for it. it yeah. If you've got um if you've got an application that uses its own identity server, for example. So right. it, it's fine saying we want Microsoft login, but we don't want the whole Microsoft world logging in. We want some control over that. Yeah, we want our identity server. Yeah. yeah. Um that that's the one side of it. And the other side is the role based access. Right. So out of the box you get twenty five um users available to you so you can create 25 users in the azure portal you can give them specialized roles right it's not that you can only have 25 users on your site but you can only have 25 users with specialized roles right yeah okay and and for most things i think that's going to be reasonable until you hit the enterprise and then that's going to be woefully inefficient yeah not enough and then you move up to the standard layer and you replace the Azure portal roles with a specialized Azure function and you take care of all of that yourself as well. Yeah, you own it. Mm. Yeah, and you own the problem. And there's only the two tiers. There's not a higher tier. Like, nope. that's it. It's either free or you're paying. Yeah. And and you pay some. Yeah. Uh, but you get all that additional customization. The other, the only other thing I'm really seeing here is it's basically all publicly facing. So I think a lot of spa apps are internal. And, it, and that would be that, another reason to use the standard tier. The standard tier gives you a private endpoint. So you can do private endpoints with the standard tier because yeah. you want it, you want these. And I'm thinking about you, re, you know, reducing the cost of internal spa apps. Mm. Uh, but still being able to run them in the cloud. Like I'm getting them off-prem. I want to run in the cloud. I want people to be able to work remotely to access them as well as in the office, mm-hmm. you know, get all of that stuff, this modernization. I, if I do it via a static, static app with the standard tier, I can do that and still keep it private. Yeah. Not and, just and an authentication st- barrier. Yeah, you still keep the uh, the simple uh, deployment structure and everything else. It's just mm-hmm. that it has that private endpoint. Uh, like I say, it does mean that it's not globally available. You do lose that. Um, but it gives you the control that you need over it. Right. But it, it feels to me like this is very brownfieldable. This is me about me going through my repertoire of spa apps that have been built over the past 10 years and saying, how do we get these up to the cloud? Because we're typically just, because they were running on an IS server probably internally, I'll ship them to app service. Yeah. You do that 100 times. Boy, you better have been organized. You better have had a good landing site and and set up your resource groups correctly and so forth to be able to get all those apps up there. You get a bunch of them up there. It's a lot. Yeah. Th- this seems more contained and cheaper. Yeah. I say it, it's the fact that everything runs inside of one service is just one of the things that really speaks to me yeah. about them. I mean, it's, I, I actually did what you were talking about myself. For one of the mm-hmm. talks that I do, I have a book club sign-up page which I have running in the cloud because I'm I'm a bookworm. So I thought if I'm going to do a demo, why not sign up for a book it's club? Totally and legit. legit. Show things Absolutely working legit. there. Yeah. And that was running inside of a storage account because mm-hmm. static web apps weren't available when I started on it. Right. And it was a nightmare to keep up to date. It was a nightmare for I had it running underneath a a custom domain. Mm-hmm. But you could only put one custom domain on. So if you did www instead of the domain, it got lost because it uh, could only do one of the two. Dope. So I moved that one over to a static web app. And since I've done that, I forget it exists until it comes to doing this talk. And then I'm prepping <laughs> for the talk. And, oh, yeah, it's on that URL, isn't it? And it, it just works. It's yeah, right. It's got the um, SSL set up out of the box. I don't need to worry about certificates or anything else. It just, yeah. it, it happens. It, it's hassle-free computing. It's what we were promised most of the time. 
Yeah, and it, and it is like a ne- sort of next level thinking about, well, what do we really need if we build software this way? If we're building client-centric web software, you don't need a lot on the back end. So it doesn't cost them much and it doesn't cost us much. Yeah. Cool. Sold. Sign me up. Let's redesign all of, all of the podcast sites to use Static Web apps. Sure. Coming right up. Why not? Because <laughs> that's not hard at all. No. No big deal. Uh, however, you know, ever since I heard about this with Jeff, I thought, you know, there's a whole handful of sites that I that I run that could totally fit in this. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's good. Thanks. Yeah, it's really good. Well, that was really awesome. I am sold. And you have a new book coming out, Stacey? I do. It's um, It's coming out in September, and it's actually making your first static web app using Blazor and Azure Functions. And the idea is that by the time you get to the end of the book, you will have been able to make a blogging site, which is kind of a new hello world that I see lots of people doing, getting it deployed into Azure and saving the data to... It's either going to be table storage or Cosmos DB. I've not decided yet. Nice. Cool. Thanks, Stacy. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. We can talk. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 